We're going to 1 Peter chapter 2. Yesterday we had our eyes on the cornerstone and on Jesus and today we're going to be just fixing our attention on what is built on Jesus, what Jesus came to do and it's all about this spiritual house, the church. So can I ask you to stand again? We're going to do this every morning if that's all right so you'll know what's going to come. If you can stand as we read God's word together. Peter says this to us, New Day. He says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, And precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Amen. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, New Day, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Father, would you be with us in this moment? Lift our eyes to Jesus and his church, and may you, by the Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts to see what you are doing with your church. And all God's people say, amen. Thank you so much. Take a seat. This is the big idea today, and this is basically it. If you're writing in a notebook, this is the big idea. If you want to know Jesus, you need to be in the church If you want to know the fullness of everything that God has for you and who he is, if there is something in your heart that says, I want to know God, you have to be in the church. And I'm not just talking about, you know, feeling like goosebumps in a moment and there's a song and some chords and there was a key change and I, I felt something in that moment. I'm not talking just about emotions. Emotions may come. I'm talking about like a friendship with God, like knowing the fullness, the panorama of all of his glory and his power and his beauty and his kindness. If you want to go deep with God, you need to be in church, which is basically exactly what our culture would want to to tell us. Our, our, Our culture tells people like, don't go to church because in church they'll like get preachy with you or they'll indoctrinate you. They've got ideas. They want to implant thoughts in your mind. But the thing is that our culture, I would suggest over the last 50, 60 years or so, has been preaching and indoctrinating the nation far more powerfully than the church has. Our culture is plowing millions and billions of pounds into persuading us to change our behavior and our thinking from like changing what chocolate bar we're going to eat to like our ethics around marriage and sexuality. We're always being preached to. Doctrine, we cannot get away from doctrine. And so there is this many, many doctrines that just we're swimming in basically as a, as a nation right now that would make it difficult for us to think I need to be in church to really know God. 
Let me just share three of them with you. The first one is this. And this is this kind of idea that gets pumped in through films and TV and advertising and chat and social media. The first one is this. Institutions are bad. X against them. Individuals going solo, that's good. One of my favorite films, one of my favorite films, the trilogies, is Born Supremacy. The Born, anyone like the Born films? Yeah. Mostly the guys and the girls are like, oh, whatever. I love the Born films, apart from the last two. But the first three, amazing. I wish I could rewind and just watch them fresh again. But what's the big idea with the Born films? Basically, there's this government agency, the American government, ooh, institution, boo, bad. And there is this lone ranger who has these amazing skills and he can just beat up anyone and he can do things. He doesn't even know where it comes from. And it's this individual fighting the institution. And when you like start like just scanning films, maybe just the kind of films that I watch that mainly have guns and fighting in, but basically like 95% of the films are, there is this kind of agency, this institution, this organization that is bad and corrupt. And then there is this person fighting this solo. And then the, like, the last scene is them like sailing off into the distance or walking off into the distance by themselves. Because it is deep down in our psyche that institutions behind closed doors, there's hypocrisy, there's corruption, they have plans that are bad for individuals. If you really want to find freedom, you've got to go at yourself. Go on a gap year, go traveling, find yourself, go solo. That's where you'll find freedom. You apply that to the church. Why would you go to church where I can find spiritual fulfillment just by myself? A second one is this. You should be strong enough to do life by yourself. I came across this on Instagram. I was just scrolling. I wasn't looking for this. It just popped up. And this was like all sincerity, an ocean background, you know, nice music. This is what she said. Maybe right now your journey isn't about love. Maybe right now your journey is about you. Maybe this is the season you're being challenged to be your own savior, to be your own safe space. Maybe right now you're being reminded that the people who walked away were only ever leading you back to yourself in all sincerity. That's all over the place. And some of them think, that kind of makes sense. I need to be strong enough to be myself because what if people walk away from me? What? That's deep down in our hearts. So why would I put myself in a place where I'm going to give myself to a community and subject my preferences for something bigger than me? And the third thing is this. The third kind of doctrine that makes this hard is that life should always be comfortable and exciting. I mean, this is like Instagram, isn't it? Everything is like exciting this, meal here, going there, party this. And then what happens when you like go to church? It doesn't feel often very Instagram worthy. Because like, where's the exciting poppy moment that I can like capture and send out to the world? You walk into church, sometimes it feels kind of routine. Dare I even say it, mundane sometimes. The PA doesn't work sometimes. It's not very, what's organized here? What's going on there? Where are my mates? I don't really fit in here. It kind of feels like it's not very exciting sometimes and it's not very comfortable. And all of that can go and think, well, why would I go to church to find God? Because, well, we got like, YouTube now, so you can choose your best preachers, you've got your Bible, you've got someone who can read the Bible to you, you can get the New Day worship on Spotify, so you can just, you can do church by yourself. But let me put this to you, because we've had like a very odd social experiment with lockdown, haven't we? Where there was this kind of moment where we all stopped and we all went solo and we all went individual and we kind of watched church on our laptops or our phones or on TV. I think this is what happened for most people. Like the first month or so, like most of us, I think, were pretty giddy. 
like, I'm a pastor, and I felt excited. You mean, you're telling me, I don't have to go to, I can wake up late on a Sunday, like, I, I can have my coffee, I don't have to do anything, I don't have to go in early, I don't have to talk to people, wow, that's nice, just sit, relax with my family, watch church, it's all done, pre-packaged, click, watch it later in the afternoon, because I slept in, we kind of like, this is kind of exciting, what happened at the back of like 18 months of doing this? I think most people would say that they felt spiritually and emotionally worse. Mental health issues, anxiety, depression, going up off the back of this experiment of trying to do without church. I felt it. I had this really like, strange feeling that I, I, I'd been away from church, but I hadn't been away from God. Like I was reading the Bible. I knew God. I knew God loved me. I had no doubt about it. I knew he had plans for my life. I knew that he was glorious. I knew all of these things. And yet at the same time, I had this strange feeling deep down that like, I, I kind of missed him. Like I missed God somehow. I missed being with him. And my suggestion to you is that that was because corporately we were not together because it's together that we encounter God in his fullness. This is what Peter tells us in this passage because he describes Jesus like a cornerstone. And we've told you the cornerstone is cut out deliberately for a building to be upon it. You don't cut out a cornerstone just to put it like on a stand, just to admire it. Look at the cornerstone that we took all this time to prepare. You don't create a big cornerstone just to place one stone on top. Say, look at that. It's unnecessary. A cornerstone is cut out for a people. This is the identity of who Jesus is. He is a community, a church builder. So if you got to know me and we're just meeting fresh, you're like, oh, who are you? I would would probably start by telling you about my family. You saw them yesterday. Toria. Toria, I'm married to Toria. I met her like 15 years ago. She's a singer, songwriter. She's an artist. Micah, he loves going topless, doing Ronaldo's everywhere. Kiki, she's gorgeous. I would tell you about my family. If you met Jesus, just imagine like, you met Jesus. He's just like, oh, Jesus, like, tell me about yourself. He says, well, I'm, I'm a cornerstone and I, I'm, I'm building a people and there is a spiritual house being built upon me. You're like, no, 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 no. Like, I, don't talk about the church bit. Like, the, uh, just tell me about you. Like, don't, I, I want to know about who you are, Jesus. Just me and you, Jesus. What if like, I tell me about yourself? He says, well, I'm a husband and I'm coming for my bride and I've died for her people and I'm gathering them. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. okay, let me stop you right there. You did it again. Like you started talking about the church. I just want to know about who you, who you are, Jesus. He says, well, I'm come, I'm a friend of sinners and I'm gathering. I was like, Jesus, why do you keep talking about the church? Because the whole of the Bible is about God gathering to be with his people and shepherd his people to himself to be a glorious church. You cannot separate Jesus from his church. Peter says it like this. He says, as you come to him, this is not just like a one-off thing. Yeah, I got baptized a few years ago. No, as you keep coming to him every day, you keep going to Jesus. As you come to him, something actually happens. He says this in verse five, you yourselves, Christians, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So as you come to this cornerstone, you cannot help but have your heart warm towards the church and find yourself suddenly amongst a group of people that would not be your friends if it weren't for Jesus. So how, how do you know? It's a little test for us. How, how would you know like, if you've actually 
come to know Jesus, the historical, living, resurrected Jesus, how would you know? Like one test. One test would just be this. How is your heart towards Jesus' church? Like your church at home. How do you feel about the church? Because if you feel like I can do Christianity without being involved with the church, just listening to preachers and listening to the Bible, going on by myself, Peter would say, I'm not sure you've actually come to the living Lord Jesus. Because if you have come to him, we've all come to this one cornerstone. We're all gathered around him. We're all being built up shoulder to shoulder, face to face, getting to know each other. Sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes not very glamorous, but a glorious church where God's power is known. This is where we find Jesus and this is where we find each other. And so Peter is continually making this point in this passage. And I just want to back up just for a few minutes to to look at this idea of what it is to be a spiritual house. The spiritual house was this language about the temple. And the temple back in Jerusalem was was a huge thing. I had to look it up yesterday. It's like about over 300 meters by 400 meters by the time that Jesus was around. 10 stories high the wall was. So bigger than this field by a long shot. Huge thing. All these stones built upon stones, stones upon stones, this strong representation of the centrality and the glory of God to the nations. And Peter says, you are just like this. So let me just tell you the story of this temple and how it lands with us and how you and I today in a field are actually the true and final living temple of God. It starts way back with Moses because God's heart has always been to gather a people to himself and for him to be known, for us to find a resting place in God. Augustine, who is a a pastor from Algeria, he said to God, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their home in you. And some of us can testify to that, can't we? Like my heart has always just been trying to find new things, new hobbies, new people, new groups to get involved. And I'm just never quite finding my place in, in life. But that's because our home is supposed to be in God. God knows this and comes and meets with his people. And he tells Moses to build a tabernacle, a tent, like not much bigger than some of these big, like eight people tents that we see around here. Like this tent, God says, I am going to dwell in this tent. And God goes and he travels with his people. He says, this is my presence in this place. You come to me, just one priest, once he represents all of the people and I will be with you. And then later on, what happened is Israel settled down and they, they came to the land of Jerusalem. David set up the capital there in Jerusalem and he built himself a humongous house. Like think of a big house, David's was bigger. He built for himself this palace. And after a while, he got a bit uncomfortable because he was looking at his house and then he was looking at God's house and his house was a lot bigger than God's house. And you can understand how you might feel a little bit uncomfortable if the God of the universe had a smaller house living, living in a tent, if you're like living it up in this huge palace. So he makes these plans to build this temple. In the end, his son Solomon finishes this temple and it's built. And then we get this moment where Solomon dedicates this temple. And he said, he said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. But I have built you, O God, an exalted house, a place for you to dwell forever. And he prays this long 
prayer of repentance and pleading and intercession and love to God. And once Solomon has dedicated the temple, this is what happens. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and, and, the, and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So this temple becomes the place and the symbol of where God dwells, where God chooses to live on the earth. This is God's house. I am residing here, and he says I'm residing here forever. Our problem, which is always our problem, is that we continually get our heads turned by other things apart from God. And we walked away from God again and again and again, until the point where Jesus Christ himself first in heaven, then step down from the throne of glory to come and enter into our world, born as a six, seven pound baby, we don't know, to a peasant family in Nowheresville, Jesus Christ is born so that he, not just by his spirit, but in his flesh might live amongst us. And John says in John chapter one, verse 14, that the word became flesh and he dwelt amongst us. The word that he uses there, dwell, if you know John, he's like a wordsmith, he's a poet, If any of you songwriters are out there, you should read more of John. He loves playing with words. And he says that Jesus dwelt, or the the actual literal word is like tabernacled or tented amongst us. Jesus came and he templed amongst us. And yet this time it wasn't just with canvas and it wasn't just with bricks. It was in his own body. So when Jesus Christ was walking around Israel, he was this living, breathing, five foot, six foot, we don't know, this man this temple in his body. And people responded to Jesus like they responded in the temple. Sometimes people would bow down in worship. People would give thanks to Jesus. People would call out to Jesus because he was this walking, talking, breathing temple where you could know God. If you want to know God, you go to Jesus. And yet Jesus, he's a cheeky one sometimes. Sometimes we miss it. He was walking around once in Jerusalem. And if you're in Jerusalem, the main thing that you can see is the temple. And he was walking around with some people and some of the leaders of the day. And, it, and he said to them, guys, like, if, if you were, like, hypothetically, if you were to destroy the temple, I myself would actually be able to rebuild it in three days. And he was playing with them. And they got really annoyed because it took them 46 years to build this temple. And he's saying, yes, yeah, like, give me a shovel, like, give me a couple of bricks, three days, I'll have this temple rebuilt for you. What they didn't understand at that point was that Jesus wasn't talking about the bricks, but a brand new temple that he was going to be building that would not just be in Jerusalem, but would cover one day the face of the earth. And Jesus Christ himself, the true temple, walks towards a cross willingly, knowing that in his body, he is the place where we are to meet God. And he goes and he becomes crucified on this cross. And we're told that as he is crucified and he is murdered on this cross, he breathes his last and he gives up his spirit. And as he gives up his spirit, like half a mile down the road in the actual physical brick temple, what happens is that the curtain 
that separates God in the holy of holies from us who are unclean. God himself rips this curtain from top to bottom. Because Jesus Christ, when he goes, he is actually dismantling the purposes of the temple in Jerusalem. He is actually going to dismantle the symbol of what that temple is because he is building a brand new one, not with brick this time, but in his body. And Jesus Christ is then taken down from the cross. You've got to imagine the disciples at this point and the religious leaders thinking like, what has just happened to our temple? This is where we get to, how do we know God if the very holy of holies has been fractured in two? How do we know Jesus if he is now crucified? You have other moments in your life when you just feel like everything's collapsing. Christ is dead. The temple system, how does that work anymore? Every, how do we even know God? Where is there hope in this world? If they'd listened to Jesus, they would say, do you remember, guys, on three days, I'm going to rebuild this temple. And what happens on the third day, on that Sunday morning? Jesus' nervous system fires up once again. He takes a breath. His fingers twitch. He takes off the garments and he is a resurrected living temple. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ rebuilds the temple in his own body, which is why we don't go on pilgrimage to different lands today. You don't miss out if you, go, if you don't go to Israel. If you do, have a blessed time, but you will not miss out if you don't get to go to Israel because we as Christians now go to Jesus, the true temple, who in his body, we can know God. Amen. It still doesn't land for us though, because there's more to this story to get to us at New Day and how you and I are now the living bricks of the temple of God. Because when Jesus is resurrected, he doesn't just say, adios guys, I'll see you later when I come back again. And then he says, no, will you wait for me in Jerusalem? Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Wait for me in Jerusalem and pray because I am going to come and clothe you with power. And what do they do? They listen to Jesus and they gather together and they're in this prayer meeting. So much happens in prayer meetings, by the way. I want to encourage you to get to your church's prayer meeting. God does stuff in prayer meetings. Jesus gathers his disciples. He says, you get together in a prayer meeting and they pray. And what happens one day? Like, this is how I imagine it. You know, there's John, there's Peter, there's Andrew, there's the disciples, and they're all praying to Jesus now. Like, Jesus, you told us to wait and pray. So here we are. We're asking for your power that you, you know, you said would be witnesses. We don't quite know what that means, but I guess if you say it, it's good for us. So would you do it amongst us? And, and like Peter at some point opens his eyes and he sees like Andrew and John across the room and that their hair is on fire. Have you read this in Acts 2? And I can imagine if this were me, I'd be like, Oh, like we need someone. Is there any health and safety? No, no. There's no health and safety around here. Like, Andrew, your, your hair's on fire, mate. Like, you need, you need to do something. And Andrew's like, what? what? This is, this. And, and suddenly, all of the disciples have these flames of fire on their head. They are walking around like these Bunsen burners with this fire on their head, which if you read it for the first time, just feels bizarre. Why, why is the fire on their head? Why does God do this strange thing? Until you remember back to the temple when Solomon dedicated the temple, what happened? When the presence of God came, fire came from heaven and filled the temple. God is saying to his people that when his Holy Spirit comes, we become 
the living temple of God. The fire represents the presence of God in their life. It's a crazy thought because they now, whenever they walk around, they are this walking temple of God. The presence of God resides in them. Have you ever thought, I I, I sometimes just, it it makes my head go like crazy sometimes. I think, God, the creator, I look into the skies and think, God, you made all of this. You are powerful enough to uphold all of this right now, to know every single person on the face of the earth. Like you are bigger than my brain can comprehend. And yet he actually lives within inside me. Ever, ever thought like if you're a Christian here today, God is actually inside you by his spirit. He lives in you. God Almighty in frail, sinful flesh. And we now become the temple of God. But here's the thing, because like, what would happen if, if that happened like today? Suddenly, at New Day, everyone's walking around like Bunsen burners with fire on their heads. The presence of God is with us. Now God Almighty lives in everything. What, what might happen? This is what I speculate may happen. No disrespect if you're like really in, in, into Instagram. But I imagine like a lot of us would quickly get our phones out. I'd be like, oh my days, I'm, I'm gonna, this deserves a selfie. Like, hashtag blessed, hashtag power, hashtag best life right now, new day 2022, like best. Like we'd be like, we'd be sharing it. And, and we might just like go home, think like, I, I, I gotta like, I gotta journal about this stuff. I, I, I know I'll start a new Instagram page to journey like to, to tell my journey about God and power and like write a few blogs maybe, maybe a ministry. I'll just start something that would be like this like power encounters with God starting 2022, my journey. And you just start like, this is what happened to me. And you start, and you start wanting to talk about, we, we, I imagine that we might just say, like, no, what do I do with this? What happened with God's people when the power of God came upon them? Let me, let me tell you what, what happened. I'm not going to tell you, I'm just going to read you. This is what happened. When God Almighty filled his people individually, this is what happened. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They gathered together to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. What happens when the power of God comes upon us? We are drawn to his people. And when we're Gathering with his people, we encounter Jesus with increasing depth and clarity and breadth and beauty and power. We cannot escape the church. Jesus promised us that when two or three gather together, he would be with us when we gather in his name. That's a promise. Now, sometimes church leaders like misuse this text. Shock horror, I know. I've done it myself to my shame. 
And it normally happens at moments like when you've got a prayer meeting and you're very disappointed about the number of people who turn up and the church leader feels bad because you're hoping for like, you know, people crawling through the windows and breaking down doors to be at your church and there's suddenly four of you and you think, okay, this is it guys. But I suppose, you know, Jesus said two or three. So I guess we're enough to be a proper Christian meeting. Yep, good. Are you coming in his name? Yep, you coming? Yeah, okay. So Jesus is here, so it's fine. We'll just carry on and pray totally abusing the text. Jesus promises, when you gather together, I, God Almighty, will be with you. I will do stuff amongst you. I will speak to you. I will guide you. I will watch over you. I will strengthen you. I will pour out my peace into your life. I will lift up your gaze to the heavens. I will help you in your time of need. I will be there in my church, Jesus says. Amen? So we need to to be in his church. And let me see how long I've got here. 34 seconds. Sorry, Joe, I'm going over slightly. Only slightly, though. I I want us to respond. And there are two things that I I really want us to do. The first thing is this. And like a deep deep breath for a moment, because it's going to need some like personal reflection I want us just to take a moment, if there are some of us who need to do this, is to repent about our attitude towards the church. And I'm not even talking the big church or like the church out there. I'm actually just talking about your local church. Because Peter does something kind of odd in my mind. He says in chapter one, this glory that you've been born again. You've been born again. And if you've been born again, and if you're coming to Christ, you'll be part of his church. He does this. You've been born again, so you come to him, so you'll be part of his church. And in the middle of this, at the beginning of chapter two, he goes in this little detour and says, oh, and by the way, can you put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander? I think, why does he put all of that? It's a bit of a dampener. There's this high point. The word of God will never perish. Now you're part of this glorious priesthood. And in the middle, it's like, by the way, guys, like, please just put away the slander and the malice and the What's going on? I think he knows that there is a propensity in our hearts to criticize and to be overly critical about Jesus' church. And I know this because when, when I was a teenager and I was just coming to Christ, I knew what it was to be very critical about the church. It's always like grumbling, like the church should be doing this, the church isn't doing this, the church isn't cool enough for my friends to come along to, how would I ever get my friends here? And I was always blaming the church for all this kind of inadequacy, I was critical. And I think for us young people, that this is a particular sin that we need to repent of. It changes when you get older. I think when you get older, it's things like cynicism, being there, done that. I know how it goes. I know what's going on behind the scenes. When you're young, it's this sense of like, I know what's right about the church and what's wrong about the church. It's not bad to be like discerning. The church needs to grow. The church always needs feedback. Elders always need feedback. Teams always need feedback. But it's this judgmental spirit against the church. In just a moment, I'm not going to make you do anything, but I want to give you a moment to respond. And then what we're going to do is that we're going to pray for the spirit of God to come. Is that okay? We're going to ask God to come by his Holy Spirit and fill us afresh. And this is what we're looking for. You may experience God in a moment. You may feel something. You may start speaking in tongues. 
This is what I'm praying for and what I think Peter would pray for based on Acts 2 and 1 Peter 2. If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you will find your heart strangely warmed to your local church. You will find criticisms slowly washing away. You will find yourself in two or three months part of things and feeling happier to being meetings that don't feel very cool, but actually you actually begin to feel some kind of love for your brothers and sisters there. And you suddenly realize, that's my brother in Christ. It's not someone I just need to look down upon. I'm part of his family. It will be worked out in the months to come. So let me start with the first part and let me just lead us in some, in some prayer. You might want to lift up your hands to the Lord. You might want to just sit quietly. But I'm going to lead us in some, in some words. And, and if you feel anything of this and you realize I've sinned against the temple of God, I've sinned against the presence of God in the church, in my brothers and sisters. I've despised God's church in my heart. I have looked down upon them. Just say some words to God in your heart of repentance. I'm sorry. I turn from that attitude. Let me lead us in this prayer. Father God, I, I thank you for your mercy in Jesus Christ. I thank you for giving us an ever-flowing spring of grace and forgiveness and mercy. And Lord Jesus, as we look to you, the cornerstone, the church builder, Lord, some of us, we, we, we recognize that we have despised your church. We have slandered your church in our hearts, sometimes with our friends. Lord Jesus, we're sorry for when we've treated your presence as less than you deserve. We're sorry for our hypocrisy. We're sorry for our judgmental attitude. We're sorry for thinking that we know best all the time. Father, we're sorry for looking down on your church. Forgive us. Cleanse us, oh God. Would you rid us of, of slander? That we, your bride, might be washed clean, spotless, free from sin, holy ones, fiery ones, glowing with your presence, we pray. May we be a holy generation, O oh God. May we not collapse under the weight of our own peer groups and youth group chat. May we love your church like you loved your church, Jesus, and gave yourself up for her with all of her imperfections. Thank you, Father. give you a moment of space just to say your own words to the Lord. Go to him, go to the cornerstone right now.
Okay, we're going to do the second thing now. Can I invite you to stand? I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come in power. Come fill us afresh. And as I pray this very simple prayer, if you want to be filled with the power of God, if you want your heart to be strangely warm towards your church, I'm going to invite you to lift up your hands. That's just a symbol to yourself, to your own heart, to the Lord, that you want to be filled with God. You want to know the fullness of everything that Jesus is in his church. So lift up your hands now, and I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Fill these hearts and minds and bodies once again. We are thirsty for you, O God. We look to you, O Jesus. Now may your living water flood us, we pray.